it's funny because people think that it's so unbelievable that a fat person could get laid. Look, I've not had trouble getting into anything but clothes, baby. Welcome to Coming Out Evil. I'm Harley Honey. And I'm Mick Seduso. Join our Descent into Villainy. Welcome back, you holly jolly evildoers. Holly jolly evildoers? Yeah, it's Christmas Eve. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it is Christmas Eve. (laughs) In the future. We're lying to you right now. But when you're listening to this, it will be Christmas Eve. Goodness. Oh, it's Noche Buena. Yay! Yeah. Noche Buena. But do you want to tell them what we're doing today? To yeah. <laughs> so we watched Jingle Jangle. The revolutionary feels like a strong word, but I guess groundbreaking holiday movie that came out in 2020 that was definitely like cultural reset feels like a strong word, <laughs> but like, you know, it definitely did something for the culture in 2020. Like, yeah. it definitely has its place in history. How big that place is, that I think that's what we'll dive into. We will definitely get into it. Yeah. So, some just basic facts about the movie. This is Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey. Mm-hmm. We actually talked about the title specifically because I was like, why is it a Christmas journey? Like, that's interesting for a movie to have a subtitle. Yeah. Like but we realized it's because one of the characters is named Journey. Yeah. <laughs> also, Jingle Jangle is an idiom in addition to sounding like a fun Christmas, you know, Jingle Jangle, like a bell. <laughs> Sleigh bells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sleigh bells. But it can also mean an argument or just some kind of unpleasantness. Oh. Which I think makes sense because it's like an unpleasant event that kind of yeah triggers everything. Yeah, the yeah. generational trauma is loud in yeah. this movie. <laughs> but there's also like other definitions. But yeah, I didn't know how important it felt. But there are like some other stray meanings. The argument or unpleasantness is an Irish meaning. Interesting. From like 1691 looks like the first instance. <laughs> so there's that. And then... Uh, U.S. team meaning could be money, but that's in, like, 1943, so that's, like, way later. Wait, I love both of the because first I was imagining some Irish person in the 1600s would be like, y'all mean the old brawler and a bit of a jingle jangle. <laughs> and then, like, with teens be like, I need me some of that jingle jangle, see? Like, just looking at, like, both of those I'm kind of obsessed with. Uh, the impressions took me out. <laughs> some of that jingle jangle, see? <laughs> And there's an Australian meaning. Crikey! <laughs> it means tension or pressure, but that is from 2015. So Good luck with this jangle jangle. Bruh. <laughs> <laughs> These <Ooh>. accents. <laughs> They're awful. <laughs> Sorry. It's like, instead of doing like one accent very well, it's like all of them are at like 50%. Yeah. (laughs) Jack of all trades, master of none. (laughs) So that's interesting. I love that. I definitely think the argument slash unpleasantness makes Mm -hmm. sense. It does. But also, the creative team, I'm wondering if they even knew that. I wonder if they just chose the title, Jingle Jangle. I think I've lost a little confidence in the people writing this movie. So it's like... Why is that? I don't know. I think it's just, like, I don't know how intentional some of their choices were. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, it's, like, it feels like, I don't know, they wanted to make this great musical that was, like, black-centric and Christmas and give us, like, a classic. And, like, I think maybe the pressure got to them. I don't know, but it just feels like some of these choices weren't the most intentional or just very cliche. Like... I can definitely see that. I do feel like there were cliche choices. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like... I came away thinking that there was a lot of intention behind the decisions. Like, I do Mm -hmm. have positive things to say about choices Mm -hmm. that they made as well. Yeah. So I didn't lose, I don't think I lost as much faith as you did. (laughs) I, maybe lost faith was strong. I just don't know if I believe they put that much thought into the title. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like I'd believe it. Especially since they put thought into the character names. 
That's true, too. Yeah, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> More just, like, basic stuff. This movie was released in winter of 2020. Mm-hmm. It was well-received. It got, like, a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got, like, it's a pretty good. Five on Google Reviews. Like, Damn. It, it's, people like this movie. One of the film producers was John Legend. Random. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Random. He said, well, let me just produce a musical real quick. Right. <laughs> Pandemic was a weird time. Yeah. Honestly, I was, like, trying to see if there were any interviews from, like, a press run oh. of them like promoting this movie and I really couldn't find much except for one single interview Damn. that they did like over Zoom and it was like not that interesting so I didn't even include it in the research. Damn. <laughs> so yeah. I do think it's interesting context that this came out shortly after the pandemic started. I also noticed that like there's no merch for this movie. Not a single toy, not no t-shirt, nothing but the DVD and CD. Which I thought was very interesting because a lot of movies, especially Christmas movies, like toy development is hand in hand with character design. Like it's like the point. Yeah. So like I I thought it was very and I think I didn't consider the pandemic before when I was writing down those notes earlier, but I definitely think the pandemic had a lot to do with the production and Mm -hmm. promotion and merch and stuff. Yeah, I feel like it definitely affected a lot, but nonetheless. It did super well. It also won, or not won, it was nominated for two NAACP Image Awards. So it was nominated for Outstanding Directing in a Motion Picture and also Outstanding Writing in a Motion Picture. Wow. Yeah. So that's pretty good. Also, the director is pretty well decorated himself. David E. Talbert has directed lots of stuff. He has like a website though that's giving a little corny. Um, Mr. <laughs> Talbert, if you need assistance with your website design, ah! <laughs> hit me up. But I like wanted to look his about because it's like so dramatic. An imaginative auteur breaking boundaries with acclaimed works in theater, film, and literature. What's an auteur? Bru- I don't know. I, don't I know guess how- it's author? Oh my god. I guess. Bye. But, you know, jokes aside, I do want to give this well-decorated black man his flowers. You know, he graduated from an HBCU, which I think is pretty cool. He went okay. to Morgan State. Nice. And also, his first play, Telling It Like It Tis... <laughs> Bruh. It says it, t- it, it, tis. tis. Yes. Yes. I don't mean to be roasting this man. Ooh, I'm, try- <laughs> I'm literally trying to do the opposite. <laughs> you got this. Okay. Yeah, so apparently he was working on Jingle Jangle for 20 years. 20 years? Yeah. And he was originally, when he was conceiving of it, wanted it to be a stage musical. So that's why... It very much has that vibe if you watch it. Yeah. Because I think a lot of that stayed kind of maintained. Yeah. Yeah, so at one point we were like, who was the music director? Was it John Legend? I don't know. So we looked it up. Mm -hmm. It's some old white guy. Yeah. Um, His name is John Debney. And I've never heard of him before. But John Debney on the culturally rich music created for Jingle Jangle. (laughs) Debney wanted the score to be classic, timeless, and at times magical, big and adventurous which led him to work with a huge orchestra for the music. Yeah, so calling it culturally rich music. <laughs> okay. Uh, some white guy doing it. That's so awkward. A little bit. And also kind of explains why I wasn't that much of a fan of the yeah. music, but again, we'll, we'll get into mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and then like I just named some of the other people he worked with for the music. So like mm-hmm. some contribution from John Legend and then people named Philip Lawrence, Davy Nathan, and Michael Deskint. Yeah, so they, they are all the music contributors. Cool. The production design was done by Gavin Foucault, which I thought was interesting because he also worked on Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like I see the like common aesthetic like it does feel like both of those films were worked on by the same person oh i don't like, think i've seen the that oh i wonder if i could find some like screenshots or i guess you can look oh yeah i can i can look some up. um did you read the books like no. as a kid oh whoa oh yeah 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 yeah, I definitely see yeah. the vibes in the promo poster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the colors, the like saturation, the mm-hmm. styling, like the way that every frame in that movie has something to look at. Like I felt yeah. that way about Jingle Jingle. Like every frame in that movie has something to look at. Very true. Yeah, very picturesque. Very mm-hmm. 
And I really like that there's a lot of color work. I feel like they oh. really were consistent in their use of color. Like, yes. very strong use of blue and orange and green. They were, like, I don't know. I like when films use color language, actually. Yeah. And commit to it. It's cool. And it is really nice for a Christmas movie, too, where it wasn't, they just didn't go with, like, red and green, blue and silver. That's it. Like, yeah. those are the colors. <laughs> they definitely, like, it's so colorfully rich. Like, ugh. Mm-hmm. I also like the steampunk aesthetic. Yeah, also. true. So, okay. If you don't know what steampunk means, it's basically just an aesthetic that's like punk merged with technology, but if the world was based on the steam powered like engine instead of electricity the way that it is. So it's like kind of nostalgia for a time that didn't exist. Yeah. Because that's never been our main form of power. Mm-hmm. You know, but it kind of envisioning a world where that is the main form of power and also you don't need to stick like strictly to that. I don't I don't care. I'm not attached to the right. like that. But I do think that it's interesting and like purposeful that they picked an aesthetic like that because steampunk and the use of steampunk is associated with things that never were and like the theme of like black fantasy i think plays yeah. on that a lot like black panther for example i was just thinking that very much a, a nostalgia for something that never was like that feeling is drawn in that movie so i think that a lot of black fantasy just is going to be doing that yeah that's a good point yeah and then there's like also the balance between form and function is a big theme that's implied when you use a steampunk aesthetic really and true. it's literally a movie about a toy maker right so i feel like that was very purposeful i feel like that's this true. is one of the reasons that i'm like i feel like they did stuff on purpose because that's really cool that's fair I think that's a cool and distinct choice yeah i do love the aesthetic and like i also love like along that too like there's the victorian clothing which is very popular steampunk but they use like kente cloth fabrics and african mm-hmm. fabrics and designs too so they like definitely made it like black centric steampunk which is yeah not seen like just not seen in the in the, the world of steampunk like i do feel like i want to say that there is black culture in steampunk but like appropriated True. Yeah. True. It's <laughs> so not. It's nice yeah. seeing black people do it. <laughs> Very true. They Very definitely true. are stealing from our aesthetics. Like you yeah. didn't come up with steampunk yourself. Okay. Not even a little I bit. Just want you not to even that. a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, I just I think that steampunk can already be black, but they made it black. Right. And I like that. Steampunk very much gives Edison, like, stealing from his enslaved person. Like, it's just, like, that's that's pretty much steampunk in a nutshell. Like, Literally. Okay, so the cast, very star-studded. Very star-studded. Yeah. Uh, there was Keegan-Michael Key. Love that. Ooh, you, know, you probably know from Key and Peele. He also is in the upcoming Wonka movie. Oh. Yeah. As the chief that. of police. Ew! Yeah, I was confused when I looked at the IMDb. I was. Ew. I was confused and disappointed. Ew. I love how he's gone so full whimsical, like Wonka, fucking Jingle Jangle, Schmigadoon, and then Jordan Peele does horror movies. That'll never stop being funny to me. But <laughs> <laughs> They must have been a good balance for each other mm-hmm. when they were writing together. Oh my god, I can't even imagine. <laughs> There's also Forrest Whitaker, who's mm-hmm. been a i don't know fucking everything right black panther yeah. to start like yeah. i feel like the first time i ever saw him in something was in the great debaters because i had that oh, movie on like dvd as a nice kid. nice yeah just <laughs> yeah. everything yeah just everything he was in so much stuff honestly i can't think of any off top but uh he was also in panic room mm-hmm. he was in taken three. Oh. <laughs> he was in the butler Wait, the Godfather of Harlem. What's oh. that? Is that a TV show? What? That. Is that like the Godfather but a black cast? Wait, that'd be great. I need to see that immediately if that's the case. There are a lot of black people in this cast. There are three <sighs> seasons of this show. Hold on. In the early 1960s, infamous crime boss Bumpy Johnson returns from 10 years in prison to find the neighborhood he once ruled in shambles with the streets controlled by the Italian mob. <gasps> Bumpy must take on the Genovese crime family to regain control. Oh, we gotta find that immediately. <laughs> it's on Hulu. Apparently. Oh my god. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Do you wanna maybe go over the remaining cast? 
Okay. Yeah, sure. And there's Felicia Rashad, and she's been in, I mean, equal. Like, I feel like both her and Forrest Whitaker, like, just such icons of, like, yeah. black culture. Like, they, they've been in movies our entire lives. But to name a few... So I feel see. like I only really remember her clearly in the Cosby show. True, yeah. So she was in the Cosby show. Oh, she's oh, in... Oh, she was in For Color Girls. Oh, nice. She's also in Grey's Anatomy, apparently. Oh. She's in that movie Soul. 13 Reasons Why. I just saw that, too. She was a past... You know what she was! Uh, Steel Magnolias. Oh, oh. I love that version of Steel Magnolias. Oh, my God. I also guess she voiced someone in Creed. Oh, yeah. I just saw she's in Creed 3. <gasps> Little Bill. Oh, I forgot about that <laughs> show. Touched by an Angel. Oh, everybody Hates Chris, A Raisin in the Sun. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she's a Touched by an Angel. Yeah, she's been in just everything. That is Felicia Rashad. And then Anika Noni Rose, legend icon. She, of course, plays Laurel in Dreamgirls. And then she also plays Tiana in Princess of the Frog. So yeah. she definitely, like, ate. Mm-hmm. She, her song's always been the one I think about when I think of this movie. Is like, her belting. Like, she's just such a powerful singer. Yeah, that duet she has with... Forest, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's great. That song and the villain song are the only songs I like really enjoy. So good, right. <laughs> oh, and the song that's in the background of the a- Afro punk dancing. Fair. <laughs> oh yeah, Grandpa Mini or something. That's so cute. Yeah. And then fucking Ricky Martin is Don Juan, the little <laughs> fucking toy. That killed yeah. me. Fucking living La Vida Loca looking ass, but <laughs> yeah. So definitely a star-studded cast. Yeah. So, just to summarize, in case you've not seen this movie and for whatever reason are not choosing to go watch it before you listen to this, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to judge It'd you. be like that. Sometimes yeah. you just want the spark notes. Yeah, you know. So, here they are. Here are the spark notes. <laughs> so, this movie's about a toy maker named Jeronicus Jangle. Black Blackity black, black man. <laughs> Literally. He's played by Forrest Whitaker. And he's been waiting for one last ingredient for his greatest invention to come to life. The ingredient he was waiting for makes the toy work. It brings it to life, and it's a little mechanical bullfighter with a very big (laughs) ego, played by Ricky Martin. Yes. (laughs) That's Don Juan. Jangle is, like, super happy. He's going to manufacture one for every child in the world. He's like, I'm going to make millions. He does not like this, the bullfighter. He wants to be the only one of him. He wants to be one of a kind. And so he persuades Jeronicus's assistant, Mm. Gustafsson. Gustafsson. Something like that. Gustafsson. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, he convinces his assistant, Gustafsson, to steal him (laughs) and his designs as well. And so Jangle loses everything. Yeah. Yeah, that was the TLDR. Yeah. Or TLDW? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yes, so this little punk in the middle of the night deals off with his stuff, and then Jeronicus comes upstairs, he sees God, he's very sad, and it just gets worse. It goes downhill from there. (laughs) Yeah. So, the movie has many themes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I kind of thought... What I was seeing was major themes being reason versus faith, mm-hmm. love and family, loss and determination or like overcoming adversity yeah. kind of vibes. I feel like the reason versus faith is the strongest theme. Absolutely. Which definitely feels very like Christmas coded. But also like it's not even because like, you know, when I think of belief in Christmas movies, I think a, a big example is like Polar Express, like him still believing in the, the magic of Christmas. And this is like, not quite that. It's not just like the magic of Christmas or the magic mm-hmm. of magic, but like belief in yourself. And I think we kind of talked about how intertwined it was of like, yeah, not just believing in some intangible power outside of yourself, but believing specifically in yourself. Like, yeah, into something concrete. I really think that's cool. Mm-hmm. And the steampunk vibe i think adds to that like faith versus reason because steampunk has that like form versus function true yeah tension and like to build a world where the fantastical objects like where the science 
must include faith and belief also to work i think that it's cool that they used steampunk for that because very true it's also not the most logical <laughs> like method of power or whatever i just think they were really consistent in that true and it is cool that like using steampunk which is kind of like antiquated or kind of old school aesthetic but like for the backdrop of like afrofuturistic kind of vibes like these magical toys this magical storybook mm-hmm. like yeah so like definitely like a lot of contrast between past and present being in the middle of it and yeah. all those things mm-hmm. at some point there's a scene where they're opening the package that came in the mail and they use the part to make the toy come to life and we realize he's like a matador why is he a matador i don't know (laughs) it just feels so random a little maybe a little racist but (laughs) maybe a little little xenophobic a little bit (laughs) because there's you know the machismo is like definitely a thing in the culture but i think that that's something for us to critique right (laughs) like why are like people on the outside critiquing this it's not quite also the fact his name is don juan which we talked about a little bit like the origin Mm -hmm. of that name which makes sense for a villain but does not make sense for a toy yeah i don't (laughs) see somebody making a toy and being like oh this is for children i'll name it don juan who is famously like an evil womanizer did he name himself though i think he introduced Mm -hmm. himself but I think he's programmed to, because on the plans, his name the Don Juan doll. Oh. So Jeronicus named him that. Interesting. So, like, for a villain, that makes sense. For a toy, not well, so he's much. he's the villain, though. Right, but, like, okay, so, but, like, if you're making a toy, I'm not going to make a toy and name it Don Juan. You know what I mean? Well, like, are we assuming that, I don't think it needs to be true that because the creators knew the origin of the name that the characters in universe that's fair to, too. like we don't know that yeah he was trying to do that you're right just like the name. you're right you're right yeah so don juan is a like not historical figure but yeah like he shows up in a lot of like operas and poems and things and he's usually like an evil womanizer who manipulates and disguises mm-hmm. himself so definitely if you know that origin you know this guy's gonna be pretty evil from jump like yeah <laughs> also i think that like tying back to the faith versus reason mm. theme the fact that he was able to build or finish don juan so quickly like yeah. it just happened you know he didn't need to call his faith to him like it was very easy for him to believe because he hadn't been through anything yet oh true so he had no like lost faith yeah and i think it's interesting that i think the theme is like even more specific than just believing in yourself like i think they're like you need to be able to have faith in yourself even after like losing a lot even after losing faith yeah that's a good point yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so also with the reason versus faith like tension there's a lot of like parallels with peter pan too like the peter pan flying scene and so like whenever they start believing in the new toy buddy which is like a robot that is powered on belief just like tinkerbell and peter pan too the more they believe they're also starting to fly too so there's like a lot of classic like not only storytelling functions but also story references too to really cement it as like a they really try to make it like a classic (laughs) yeah i think they borrow a lot of movie language really well Mm -hmm. from other classics to give it that kind of vibe and i like that they lean into making a whimsical story yeah. Even though I do feel like it does hang a little serious, like a little yeah. more serious than I'd like for yeah. a whimsical Christmas story. It's like they couldn't quite help themselves from making the stakes really high, but in general, it was pretty whimsical, and I like yeah. it. I do think the scene when, whenever they're like, Jessica thought she had just lost one parent, but she had really lost two. And then she sends herself away because her dad is so traumatized from her mom yeah. dying. I'm like, that's that's really heavy actually like i don't know i just i would love for black people to get fantasy movies without trauma sometimes but you know it would be nice it would be nice (laughs) i think the next major beat in the movie is don juan sings his song Mm. about learning to borrow indefinitely god (laughs) and i think that that also hits the theme because that's the song he's singing to convince the assistant 
to steal him away. Yeah. And, like, Geronicus trusted him. Yeah. He left him in this room alone. He didn't think twice about it. And he comes back and, like, I feel like that is the crushed faith, like, the trust, or I guess trust is different from faith, but, like, he Mm. had faith in this place being safe, his assistant being safe, and that just betrayed him, and that really sucks. And I think it happened because Gustafson, like, they went off to celebrate, Mm -hmm. and Gustafson was left there, or I don't know if he... He hung, thought he hung didn't back. get directly invited, but yeah. he really just kind of hung back in that, like, you know, socially awkward kind yeah. of way. <laughs> so he was like, oh, they excluded me. And that mm-hmm. was, like, the door opening, like, for that to happen. But then later, Geronicus comes back upstairs specifically to be like, you didn't think we'd forget you, too. Yeah, but he's already gone. he's already gone. gone. So it's like, oh, no. Just directly yeah. invite people. Stop assuming people know they're invited. Oh, and you know, the flip side, too, is that Gustafsson had no faith in Geronicus that he cared about him and probably just forgot or probably just expected him to follow. or The BPD of it all, you know? Honestly, (laughs) this story having a read of... Damn, his name is so hard. Gustafsson. Gustafsson. You know what? His name's G. From now on, his name is G. Can't spell magic without G. That lyric is so hard, It goes so hard. (laughs) But yes. Then there's a montage where Mm -hmm. Geronicus is sad. That's how I wrote it in the notes. But he, you know, we're seeing him kind of lose everything. Lose his business. Grow older. Lose his faith more. We get to the modern day like during that montage but I thought that it was really interesting the way that they used light in that scene yeah yeah it's like the daughter is so warm and he's so cool and like I know that's like hitting kind of on the nose but it still looks cute it was really good (laughs) it really is yeah I also love visually so it kind of like bridging the gaps like when the narrator was really heavy in it um, mm-hmm. There would be like these wood carving scenes that mm-hmm. look like little wooden carved toys, which is very Christmas coded. Yeah. And it was just really cute animation in general, too. But yeah, so like whenever time passes or a major event happens, it would switch to these wood carvings, which are adorable. Yeah, it also helped us not forget about the storytelling device, which I right. think a lot of movies forget to like remind you why we're here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? But yeah, I thought that was real cute. Mm -hmm. I also like that, like, more theme stuff in mind. Like, the way that the daughter's ability to hold on to her own faith and her own, like, warmth and light Mm -hmm. stayed so consistent. And she wound up eventually just removing herself from this, like, cool environment. And when she does that, she says that it's giving him what he wanted. Yeah. Which is sad, because is what he wanted really for her to leave home. I don't think so, but it, it was just so sad. And yeah. I think, like, a lot of movies, like, so many, not even just Christmas movies, but it's just so popular for children's movies for some reasons to have lost a parent. Like, mm-hmm. that's just, it's a trope at this point. But I don't think I can think of another movie where the, the emotional weight and the gravity is spilled out so heavily in the movie. Like, yeah. It's really hard to watch, honestly. Like, it is. It is really sad. Yeah, so we eventually get to Journey's I Want song, but we we learn in the song that she feels, like, out of the ordinary sometimes. Yes. Uh, she feels like she's weird, basically, is what we learn. But it's because she's unique. Not the only one. Ah. So the song is called Not the Only One. It's her I Want song. Yeah. Aww. I wish it wasn't a skip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the fact she has two I want songs and they're both kind of... Huh. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, I mean, she can sing. I oh, see yeah, why they wanted absolutely. to give her two songs. I wish they were two better songs. Yes, exactly. We, you know, we, we out here. <laughs> right. She leaves home. Her mom sends her off to stay with her dad aka journey's grandfather right oh because he sent a letter finally inviting them which is what the mom has been waiting on this whole time allegedly he sent a letter allegedly (laughs) Allegedly. (laughs) but she travels to him she arrives he literally even doesn't believe that she is his granddaughter literally 
He's like, no, my granddaughter has a U in her name. And she's like, He's Journey? Like, <laughs> He's like, J-O-U. Yeah, okay. All right, that checks out. Like, <laughs> Also, at first he was like, my granddaughter's name is Jackie? Yes! Like, who? <laughs> Just could not, couldn't look up from his book, could not care less about this child. Like, honestly. Very cold introduction, honestly. Yeah, and he takes a while to warm up to her, but you know. A long time. He does because she's warm and the light on her is always warm. Yeah. And the longer that he's like with her, the warmer his light gets. It's just so nice. It is very cute. There's a cute snowball scene, too. Yeah. And it's just like, oh. He also turned the shop from a toy shop into a pawnbroker shop. Yeah. Yeah, that was also a change that happened. Right. Oh, and the big, like, tension is that, like, the bank is like, oh, you need to make a good invention or we're going to shut you down on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. So. Either pay us our money or make the invention you promised. Yeah. <laughs> so that we never see that white man again until the end of the, the movie. very end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, so he's, like, trying to work on something. So he's, like, very focused, and all of a sudden this little kid comes in and he's like, bah, bah humbug. <laughs> <laughs> he does very much give bah humbug. Mm-hmm. He also... Ebenezer Scrooge. Yes. He also at some point says children are creative vacuums. And I'm like, bro. Where? Who hurt you? I don't know. And it's wild because it's like we see the mom growing up and she's like so interested in in the magic and the science of it Mm. all. And she's like even mimicking her dad. She looks up to him so much. It's just like, what child was a creative vacuum to you? I don't understand. Yeah, that does feel a little random. Right. part of the writer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, like, I thought it was also confusing that he was, like, really cool to journey, really cool to journey. Snowball scene. Ah, come on, kids, come help me. All of a sudden loves children. Yeah. And then goes right back to finish your chores and, like, don't bother me, bye. Like, it just, I don't know, it's a little bit for loop, but. No, I think that makes sense. The characterization felt very sudden. I think they wanted yes. to, like, have warmth kind of peek through more and more, but yes. instead it's just... A different man all of a sudden. Right. It's like, oh, let me dance and do snowball fights with these children. Like, Yeah. I wonder if they just, like, wanted to have a fun scene like that to be in the movie and didn't exactly it that quite made sense. Exactly. Yeah. That would have been a cute, like, ending scene, maybe. Yeah. But. Then we meet the adults. Or, yeah, I guess he was already an adult. An older adult here. of... And an adult here, Geronicus, or not Geronicus, Gustafson. Gustafson. An adult here, G. <laughs> but yes, so he has his little villain song. It's fire. Lyrics hard as fuck. So good. <laughs> but he clearly just has hella an ego now because of Don Juan. A toy with an off switch, but pop off, I guess. Yeah, literally, how are you letting a toy with an off switch boss you around? Also, Gustafson has a lot of green. It's very Emerald City Oz Wiz vibes. Like, yeah. Between the costuming, the stained glass, like the big old castle, like factory building, like it's very Wizard of Oz vibes. Yeah. Also, green is like another like strong film color mm-hmm. that's associated with you know corruption and danger and things that are sinister. Like they really want us to see this guy. Right. Dangerous. It literally made me think of, like, the Onceler and the Lorax. He's also dressed in green. And also very capitalism is bad coded. Like, Mm -hmm. so, yeah, definitely. Definitely very greed-oriented. Yeah. Mm. Oh, Journey has a second song. Mm -hmm. And I think that the the quotes in it are cute. Like, at some Mm -hmm. point she says the rules that are written are just the beginning. And I think that that's, like, another cute little nod to the theme she's she's faithful she's enthusiastic she's like innocence she is yeah. the uncorrupted innocence in the film that's true and, and I like that. she does have a lot of very cute quotes mm-hmm. and then she also like meets edison right after this and their dialogue back and forth is so funny because he's yes. like i'm edison i'm his top apprentice do you want to be my apprentice she's like do you want to be mine <laughs> and he's like i asked you first and like just the power struggle between these children immediately is so funny. <laughs> it's also hilarious because they just met and they're already having a power struggle. They just met. <laughs> like, names. Do you even know each other's names? Right. <laughs> but they they find Buddy in the shop mm-hmm. in that scene, and 
like journey says that she's going to get it to work and edison's like you know some variation of how you know asking yeah. like, how could she do that and uh, she just responds there's nothing that says i can't Ooh. and like i think that that's interesting because i think it starts to explain the literal mechanics of the science or magic or the things that fuel the technology in the movie yeah like we start to learn that literally part of the equation is faith like is part of the the laws of their world <laughs> that right. you need faith to get an equation to work i think that's so wacky <laughs> it is also i just noticed this but the the people who represent doubt and the people who represent faith are right down the gender line Oh. All the men are like, oh, I don't know. And then all the yeah. women are like, Faith! It's like... That's true. I don't know how I feel about it yet, but it is no, something I noticed. Edison is happy to believe things that are right in front of him. That's true. Because at some point, Journey's like, it's working, do you believe it? And um, Edison responds, like, of course I believe it. He's hovering over your head. Right. <laughs> so I think that I like that Edison is kind of a, a balance. Like, he... Yeah he is willing to believe things like when he walks into the shop at the end of the movie he starts flying when he sees yeah everyone else's it's kind of like i don't know peer pressure seems negatively connotated it does seem like these women that are like are like a catalyst for faith yeah for like so like the men get around to it but mm-hmm. like it does take edison talking to journey to get there and like yeah but yeah i do like i think catalyst is Maybe the word I'd use to replace yeah. peer pressure, but <laughs> just nothing works without the women in this movie. Yeah, which, yeah. <laughs> also, later, Buddy, the little robot that they got to work with magic, or rather with science and belief, says, "I've always worked. I just needed someone to believe." Yeah. So literally, he did not work for Geronicus. Yeah. Just didn't work, and. Uh, they didn't even have to do anything before him. They just had to believe that they could make him work. Yeah. Which is cute. And also reminds me of the scene later where they're like in the, the fan mm-hmm. and they're trapped and trying to get out. And <laughs> <laughs> she's just like, when they go to get Buddy back after he gets stolen, again, because these people is thieves. Thieving. Thieving. She says, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Yeah. And that, that's a pretty baller line, honestly. Yeah, like honestly. This movie's very quotable. It really is. Yeah. I also noticed the belief seems, like, percentage-based. So, like, so both the kids, like, Journey and Edison believed in Buddy, and they're flying around and everything. The minute Geronicus walks in, they didn't stop believing, but his belief became a part of the equation. Yeah. So, like, even if they believed 100%, the highest they could get is 66%, and then he stopped yeah. working. So, like... I don't know, I think it is interesting, like, how even if you believe in yourself, somebody can poison the well, and, like... Yeah. I don't know, I think that is very much a generational trauma thing kind of showed very concisely. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. Because he's definitely the reason in that scene of the reason versus faith. Yeah, and then even he accuses them of lying to him. He's like, I told you not to move anything, I told Mm -hmm. you not to touch anything. She's like, I didn't. And he's like, how did I get over here? And she's like, it it walked like and he's like i don't believe you and it's like so you're calling her a liar like i don't know which is giving generational trauma again but (laughs) want to support our passion project become a member on patreon today so yeah so another big theme is like determination and overcoming adversity right so like even after going through beliefs of not believing in yourself and coming back to yourself and believing in yourself and like going through trauma and healing from it and it affecting relationships and saying I'm sorry and forgiving each other and working through it and stuff. So and one a good example. Oh yeah, like literally one of the quotes from earlier in the movie when they're showing Jessica and Geronicus like first kind of falling out after her mom passes is the phrase, I suppose I'm sorry hadn't quite been invented yet. As a narrator, whenever she's describing Geronicus and Jessica falling out, she says along the lines like, I suppose sorry, I'm sorry hadn't been invented yet to like oh. describe the tension in that relationship. So like, oh, boo. yeah, I was like, oh, I don't know how to process that. Like, I don't know. I felt very weird about that phrase. I was like, like, why are you anti-accountability, bud? Yeah, and I was just like, damn, like, 
I don't know. And it, it really sucks because, like, it was hard to watch, but also I've seen that happen in real life with a father and a daughter and a mom passed away. Like, it really is something that does happen. Like, I don't know if it's, like, they just remind too much of each other, of the person yeah. who passed or what, but it really can fall apart. And I do feel like it's the parent's role to, like, heal or be in a place to, like, mm-hmm. not let that just happen. Have your child feel like they need to just leave to help you heal, but... Yeah, the fact that she just feels, like what he wanted was her gone yeah it's very sad and the fact that too we find out later that the only reason they get a letter from Jeronicus is because journey sent a letter pretending to be jessica so like i mean how many years is that i don't know exactly i thought that the other letter was fake too like she sent both letters oh why'd she send both letters that's confusing yeah i do remember when she was explaining that i was like why but, <laughs> Fair. but I think that also explains why he is confused when she arrives yeah. because he didn't actually invite her right so he's like what <laughs> so then it's like damn how long would y'all have, would y'all just never talked again had she not done that like yeah so like I just I I don't know if Jessica left when she's like 17 18 maybe and now she has this like 10 year old like how long has mm-hmm. this been going on and yeah. it just would have kept going on it was nice to see that, like, even after all that time passed, they could move past it and heal and, like, talk it out and start inventing and building again and everything, but... I think that it's cool the song that they do that through. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, like, cool parallels in it. Um, I don't know what it's actually called. I guess that it was called Something to Make It Work Again. I think that is what it's called, that. yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the it in that they keep saying they keep repeating i'm gonna make it work again and it's a duet so jessica when she says it she's talking about their relationship like yes their father daughter bond and when uh Geronicus is saying it he's talking about the robot that he's fixing right yeah so i think that parallel is interesting because it fits in with that theme and the i think that it's cool because like they are both determined to quote-unquote make it work again yeah. but also that they are talking about two entirely different things yeah when they sing it. so it's like again the faith is necessary for that yeah. to work no it was really cool oh, it's just such a good song and anika's mm-hmm. so talented oh those runs child we also see determination whenever they at some point edison and journey sneak off to gustafson's factory because he stole buddy and so they go to get him back mm-hmm. they get him and then they go to leave and then a fire starts so they can't leave back out that way but the tunnel they got to go through there's a giant fan running <laughs> and so <laughs> so many stages. there's so many things that, oh and then also the cart broke like the handle broke <laughs> so then there's like this whole scene where Geronicus has to figure out mathematically what has to happen for them to make it out of the fan alive while it's rotating he has a breakthrough essentially where he's able to believe because he, like life or death at this point he's like i need my granddaughter to not die and it works and they're able to get out of there safely and make it and everything but i don't know i just i do i go back and forth on the enmeshing magic and and math Mm -hmm. but i think it is cool that he had a moment where he's like oh i can't do this and it be math related and then he was able to figure it out and like i don't know i like that visual for people to know that they can feel like they can't do something and then overcome that still but And I, I do think that's the telltale of a underdog story or like yeah. an overcoming adversity story because we get so invested in him succeeding. Like we want to see it so bad. And then so it's like a big relief, like celebration yeah. for all of us when he succeeds. And that's the, the beauty of the theme, I think. I love it. Yeah. And we even get a little bit of that with Gustafson too, because at the very end, he comes back, he tries to steal Buddy back, and Journey outwits him, and then they go to take him off to jail, but then Geronicus is like, hey, like, here's a Christmas present from X amount of years ago before you ran away. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, the thing he's been needing all movie to compete with Geronicus. Yeah. And he's like, I would have shown you everything if you had just waited and, like, trusted mm-hmm. in me. And so, like, I don't know, they did get to kind of reconcile at the end, and, like, he still gets, it's not like he's not going to jail anymore. Like, he's still held accountable. Yeah, so, like, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> he still is held accountable for, like, stealing everything. But they still do get, which I think, I love that, too, that they can reconcile, but he's still held accountable. It's not like it yeah. erased everything, but, yeah. So everybody got a little, little dose of overcoming in person. <laughs> Remember to hit the subscribe button. So, yeah, so like any good, 
Christmas movie. A big theme is also love and family and the strength of family and love. And we had another theme lost, but I, I heard this quote where it's like, what is grief? but love persevering. And I think like we really see that like, I don't know, I think we see him reminisce about the memories of his daughter and his wife and that helps soften him throughout this journey. And like, mm -hmm. I don't know, like not just being, like, I mean, grief is big and you should give it the time you need to process it, but not stagnating in that, but letting it help you heal through it and remember those times, but also move forward and share yeah. love with other people now. Like, but yeah, definitely love and family is a big one in this one. I think they show that, like, getting past loss in the visual language as well, because when Jeronicus is singing his, like, I don't want to call it an I want song, because he just kind of is singing about what he's sad about. Right. But we see him stuck in the same grief as before, because we see him, like, flashing back a lot to the night that the incident happened, like, the day that his toy and design got stolen, yeah. literally the scene is overlaid like an onion skin on top of him singing in the present day in like terms of the movie timeline so yeah. it really does a lot to show you that he's kind of sitting and stuck in the street and he needs his family to pull him out of it like he does need their help and so that i do think that that's important and like there's something to be said about how much of a responsibility it is for your family or chosen family or what have you to pick you up when you're broken but I do think that it's an interesting way to communicate like the an interesting way that the movie communicates that family can help pick you back up yeah. when you've lost faith like they can give you that extra added dose I think that's what journey is in the yeah. movie is his like infusion of faith <laughs> definitely it kickstarted it like if he had none to begin with that would have been a lot but mm -hmm. like help help with that spark a little bit yeah and he's giving, I think he's giving Edison advice, but it might have been Journey. He's giving someone advice at the end of the movie. And he's telling them that you don't need to be afraid if people can't see what you see. Just be afraid if you can no longer see it. Oh yeah, he's saying that yeah. to Journey. Oh, it's Journey. Well, he's definitely speaking from experience. <laughs> right. That's major. And I feel like it goes so much with the, kind of the same sentiment as like, you're not in competition with anybody else, just with yourself. Yeah. Like, worry about yourself. And that'll pretty much get you pretty far, honestly. Like, yeah. But yeah, like, don't worry about what everybody else is doing and saying. But. <laughs> oh, the reenacting trauma. So I do yeah. feel like we see that a lot in the way that Geronicus talks to Journey and kind of pushes her away in a similar way that he pushed Jessica away when she was yeah. a kid. And we see him, like, reenacting his trauma almost in that way. And I think it's interesting that the movie does this, and I'm not sure that this was on purpose, but I do think that there's something to be said about how we as victims of trauma have a tendency to like reenact it or put ourselves in positions to reenact it via very complicated mechanisms <laughs> in our brains, you know? Very true. Yeah, it's almost like it's more comfortable. Like we see him do that and it's almost as if he's thinking it's gonna make him more comfortable. Like he yeah. thinks this is what he wants is to push her away, but it's just the opposite right. of what he needs and wants even. I think it's also interesting cause like I know people will say things like time heals all wounds but not necessarily because he spent I don't know let's say 20 years like mm -hmm. by himself and like you know he's like a quote-unquote functioning member of society like he's yeah. keeping up the shop and stuff but the minute you add another person to the mix he went right back to all that trauma right like mm -hmm. healing alone is not the same as healing in community or with a loved one like I don't know like you can get so far by yourself but the minute you add another variable like you just have to practice healing yeah. with other people or else it's you're just going to be put right back in that same spot pretty much. So I did think that was interesting. And like, I don't know, it's hard to remember that sometimes because I think people will want to isolate and be like, no, I shouldn't be around people. I'll like figure this out. But it's mm -hmm. like, you kind of have to, to grow out of it. Like yeah. You also don't know if you're healed, you know? Like, that's are true. Are you healed or are you just not being triggered right now because you're not around oh. anybody? Oh. <laughs> Somebody felt that. <laughs> also, just one last thing I have to say about this movie. Damn! Why does the plus-sized person always have to be the comic relief character? I hate it. 
because necessary. oh it's so funny she thinks she can find love haha yeah what the fuck and we don't even see her really get a happily ever after at the end what the fuck is up with that she got a kiss on the cheek yeah and what? that was she this woman was aggressively touch starved she was arguably sexually harassing this man yeah, if, and that was supposed to be funny. I remember when somebody was like, "If that character was a man and Jeronicus is a woman, nobody would have let that shit fly." Yeah, like it. It was a lot. Yeah. It was a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah, it's just like I don't. know, That's my big critique of Parks and Rec too. People be like, "Oh, I love Parks and Rec." It's like how many times is Donna the butt of a joke? Because they're like, Donna gets men. Ooh, and it's just like, yeah, you're right. Like, why is that funny? It's funny because people think that it's so unbelievable that a fat person get laid. Look, I've not had trouble getting into anything but clothes, baby. Okay. <laughs> like, please don't get it twisted. <laughs> Found our beginning clip. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just like, and it sucks because like that actress was clearly so excited to be a part of this movie, to be doing like a comic relief role. Like, she was clearly made for it, but the direction they took with it, my God, was so weird. Yeah. Big agree. Alright. Well, well, I'm drunk. Me too. Bye. <laughs> that was our review of Jingle Jangle. Feel free to tweet us what you think, and we're gonna go drink more great moss probably. Bye! Bye. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another episode. Think you can handle more? Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Coming Out Evil. Our website also has merch, sources, and our original villainy workbook available to download. Check it out at allmylinks.com slash comingoutevil. You can support our evil doing on Patreon, where patrons get exclusive access to bloopers, extended cuts, live streams, and so much more. You can also tip us on Cash App at Yeehaw Howdy and Mixedusa. Stay evil and, and we'll see you next time. episode. Leave a review.